Hey, good morning. It is, it truly, it is an honor. We are, we are so blessed that you're here. Uh, thank you. Thank you truly for, uh, for being here. Uh, if, if this is your, your first time with us, let me explain something to you. We do not expect you to be a Bible scholar, okay? We didn't think that anybody walked in here having everything all together, and uh, we, didn't, we didn't expect you to have the Bible memorized. So if, if we were perfect, we wouldn't have needed Jesus to save us. So we fully anticipate uh, and expect that you are not a Bible scholar. That's okay. That's what we're talking about here today. Um, in fact, we have Bibles for you. So uh, every Sunday when we meet just two doors down, let's see, where am I? That way? Is that even close? That way. You are like, that's the road. Okay. Uh, we're, we're, just, we're just two doors down and we would love to, uh, to give you a Bible. It's not a burden for us. It's an absolute joy. So um, really thank you so much for being here. I'm sorry for anyone I didn't get to meet because we're thrilled that all of you are here. I want to talk about Easter. This is, this is the big one for us, right? This is the big uh, service. We have sort of two things that Christians celebrate and really prioritize as holidays, and we will get to both of those, although there are more than two. Uh, but I just wanted to tell you, um, when Jesus came, and nothing's wrong, by the way, the, uh, when the air conditioner, this, this is probably like the third thing that's ever been in this auditorium, and the air conditioner has made that noise since day one. So nothing's blowing up. Some of you are like, we need to get out of here. <laughs> when Jesus came to earth, it changed everything. It changed your timeline. Because if you look at your timeline, your calendar, if you go back far enough, uh, it goes from B.C. to A.D. And we mark that at the coming of Christ. Uh, but for us, it's, it's a big deal. But in the day of the people, God's people, the Jewish people, they were waiting for one who had been promised for millennia. Their holy scripture had promised that someone was coming. Their grandfathers had told them about it. Their fathers had told them about it. They were going to tell uh, their daughters and their sons about it. And they were waiting for someone to come. So uh, when Jesus comes, it is a big deal. This is the most anticipated birth in all of history. Let me explain. If you have a Bible, you'll notice that it's not just one book. When you open it up, you'll notice that there are actually 66 books in that one book, in that one binding. And the first 39 books are the Old Testament. And they, they tell the story of, of uh, God creating the world, choosing his people, and promising that one day a Savior, a Messiah, would come. And so uh, the New Testament, it was when that Savior, when that Messiah comes. And this was a big deal. Now remember, there were 39 books written before Jesus, the, the Savior, the Messiah, before he gets here. And starting all the way back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is the per first prophecy that we have of the one who comes to save us. It's a prophecy, you could also call it uh, a, a prediction, a foretelling, okay? And so uh, it's all through those 39 books in the Old Testament. They were written thousands of years before Jesus ever stepped step foot on this place. And then hundreds of years, and then 
a couple hundred years. And so the Old Testament kind of ends about 200 years before Jesus comes. But at all points, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. But God was brilliant in this because he didn't just say that he's coming. He gave us specificities. He gave us things like when he comes, this is what he will do. This is what he will be like. One of my favorite, this was written around let's call it 750 BC, so 750 years before Jesus is even born, Isaiah the prophet says this in Isaiah 53, five through six. All the scripture is gonna be on the screen, uh, by the way. Uh, feel free to follow with me on your phone or in your Bible, but I'll be on the screen uh, because we don't expect you to know where Isaiah is in the Bible, okay? Isaiah 53, five through six. This is a prophecy about the, the one who's to come. It says, but he was pierced because of our rebellion. Now, if you, if you know anything about the death of Jesus, uh, they actually stuck a spear right through his side, right? He was pierced uh, because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquity, because of our iniquity. Jesus was sinless, but he died as a penalty, right? He was actually being a sacrifice for us, so he was crushed for our iniquity. So this seems like, you, you're like, yeah, I've heard that, it's about Jesus. But this was prophecy, this was foretelling that he would die, he's innocent, but he'll die for your sins, right? He'll be, he'll be pierced. Uh, and we are healed by his wounds, by the wounds of Jesus, by the sacrifice of Jesus, we are saved. His sacrifice buys our sin. We all went astray like sheep, we have all turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Now you've heard that, maybe you hear that at Christmas time or something like that, but these were still waiting for the one who would come and do all of that. And so when Jesus came to earth as a man, he fulfilled every single prophecy from the Old Testament. The mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling those prophecies is impossible. That's what it is. In fact, there was, a, uh, there was one university who took the statistics of a couple of these prophecies that they could measure, like being born in Bethlehem and stuff like that. And they can tell, okay, what was the world population? How many people were born in Bethlehem? And they got statistics of him fulfilling eight. Now, he fulfilled well over 60 major prophecies, but the odds of him fulfilling just eight of these prophecies was 10 to the 17th power. That means nothing to me. I know we're on a university, but yeah. <laughs> That means nothing to me. So this is what they said. Take the state of Texas, put a two-foot wall around it. Fill it two-foot tall with silver dollars. Put an X on one, throw it in somewhere, stir it up. I'm going to send you out blindfold and say, pick one up. You know what your odds are of picking up that coin with an X? 10 to the 17th power, okay? It was mathematical impossibility that Jesus could come and fulfill all of these prophecies, but he did. He fulfills every single one of them. But, oh wait, we're not done there. Jesus begins to validate himself. They're like, if you're the son of God, show us. And so he does. And Jesus performs these miracles, and you've heard them. Maybe, maybe you were a kid in Sunday school somewhere, or you went to a vacation Bible school, or, or late, late night you heard a TV preacher, and somewhere in the midst of asking you for money, they told a story. Like, you've heard somewhere, y'all didn't laugh at that at all. Wow, okay. 
Sorry. Uh, you've heard somewhere about some of the miraculous things that Jesus did. We've probably heard it since you were so young that it kind of loses its sting. Like, I, I wish that you could imagine. I don't see y'all imagining, so I'm going to help y'all out. I brought some people here to help me imagine. This is unrehearsed. It is potentially a complete train wreck, but it shall be entertaining either way, okay? In, in John chapter 2, we have John chapter 2. Come on, John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, we have this really cool story. It is the first miracle of Jesus, and it is where Jesus turns water into wine, and some of you are like, you're, you're Jesus. Well, hold on. There was, there's more to it than just the wine thing, because what had, what had happened was the pot that Jesus took and turned water into wine from was a pot that was used for ceremonial cleansing. And so this was water and this was a, a pot that was designated for something that was ser- sort of, you know, it's, you, you don't want to go drink out of the hand rinsing bowl, okay? But Jesus took these massive things and they probably would dip out of a pitcher and then pour it over their hands and they had this ceremony to clean, clean their hands. But that's what it was. And then Jesus blesses the bowl, blesses these canisters, and then, (laughs) yeah, she's like, mom, never let me have this before. Jesus blesses this, and and it it turns into wine, and such good wine that the master of ceremonies over the wedding where Jesus turned water into wine was like, wow, you guys have saved the best for last. And, And Jesus was doing this he didn't haphazardly go around like you get a car you get a car he was doing these things and they all meant something so for example Jesus was showing what he would do for the world I'm going to take something that is unclean And I'm going to turn it into something that brings joy. I'm going to turn it into a celebration. I'm going to turn it into not only something good, I'm going to make it the best. So it wasn't haphazardly doing these miracles, but the, the people who did that, they, like his disciples saw it so much so that they wrote it down. Now it was hidden from a lot of people because Jesus didn't want to get too famous too quick because you know why? Power struggle. He knew that the people would take him by force and make him king. So, uh, which would eventually lead to his death. And it did, but he had to finish what he was doing first, okay? Uh, in John chapter 4, there was an official who came to Jesus. And this official had a child who was on the verge of death, okay? Can't you tell? <laughs> on the verge of death. And so the official pleaded with Jesus because now now put yourself in this situation there's no health care there's no hospital around the corner there's there's some really rudimentary medicine being practiced and and the official begs and begs and Jesus says go home your child is already healed right and so when the official goes <laughs> the child is is healed now this was a very popular very famous person and so everyone was going oh no this kid's gonna die 
And so the official goes home and they say, when, when, and the kid is up and walking. They say, when did this happen? And they discovered it was the same hour that Jesus blessed. And so now we're starting to catch some, some traction. And so Jesus is turning uh, things that are unclean into things that are clean. And Jesus is taking people who are sick and making them well, right? This is the picture of our soul. And then... Another sick person in, in John chapter 5 comes to Jesus. Now, we're going to say sick. Now, this person actually looks a little like Eddie Murphy in an old 80s movie, okay? But uh, this person comes to Jesus a little more sad than that, please. Thank you. This person comes to Jesus and cannot, cannot walk. Now, can you imagine in the day... The people would stand on the side and they would beg. And if you had a, a big heart, maybe you would give them something. But every day on your commute to work, which was walking, okay, as you walked in the same city every day, you saw the same person every day. Cannot walk. We're not faking it here. Jesus comes in and people begin to say, okay, when Jesus comes in, some things are happening. And Jesus Jesus comes to this man who cannot walk, prays for this man who cannot walk, and then all of a sudden, not only can he walk, he jumps. Now, if you know anything about this condition, he doesn't have the strength to do it, but all of a sudden, he is made new. Good job. Now that you can walk, you can get out of here. Scram. All right. Thank you so much. So not only can he walk, he's jumping, and so Christ is showing us, I'm going to show you that you can do what you never thought that you could do, what you are incapable of doing, what you don't have the muscle to do, even if you had the ability to do it, I'm going to make happen in an instant. And we see that still in our world today. Your worship pastor was up here. God has made him new. He gave him the ability to come past addiction that he could not do on his own. And now, not only can he get over it, but he can lead worship for all of you, right? So he can jump to his feet. He can dance. Now, in John chapter 6, now this is a biggie. We've heard of this one for a long time. In John chapter 6, Jesus is in a conundrum because all of these people have followed him out to hear him teach, and they are nowhere near McDonald's. They are hungry. And there are, the Bible says, 5,000 men. And so we're probably not counting women and children. And they are, star you're landing on thick. You are hungry. Okay. They are starving. And so Jesus is like, what do we have? And one child says, two fish, two fish, two fish and a couple loaves of bread. So Jesus begins to take this and distribute it. To the disciples, now thousands, thousands of people, imagine this. Can you imagine me taking this and just, there's, there's certainly not thousands that are here today. Can you imagine me taking fish, I know that these are paper, but, and, and just, just handing them to one after another, after another, and saying, you take a bag, and you take a bag, and every time, make it rain fish, girl, come on. Every time they reach into the bag, there's more fish, and more and more. And the hungry are eating, right? And so, awesome. Okay, you can go now. Thank you so much. So Christ is validating himself. And again, this is not an on-the-whim miracle. He's showing, I will give you what you don't have. I will provide when you don't 
have it. I don't want to get real specific in here this morning, but um, there is a lady who uh, the Lord put it on her heart and she began, to, uh, she began to, to give some things to the Lord even when she didn't have it. And just even as of yesterday, God is just making it rain blessings on this person. And so I'm not teaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not about to pass up offering plates. That's not what we're doing. I'm just saying that when we give ourselves to the Lord, and when we are doing the Lord's work, he just makes it work. I could tell you, I could take you through the story of our church and say, this is why this couldn't happen, and this is why this couldn't happen, and this is why this couldn't happen, and Jesus just goes, hey, just reach in the bag, dude. <laughs> I know it's not there, but guess what? It's there. And he was showing us what he was going to do for people in the kingdom of God. But can you imagine 10, 12,000 people going, where are they getting all this? They're just reaching in the bag. This is like watching one of those old westerns where they're shooting a six-shooter and they shoot 85 people, right? Where are the bullets coming from? In John chapter 6, later the same day that he feeds the 5,000, the disciples go out rowing. They are on the sea and they are rowing. You've obviously never rowed before. They are... They are in the middle of a storm. Of a st that's, that's pretty stormy. Okay, they're in the middle of a storm, and, and Jesus has sent them to the other side of the lake, but they cannot get there. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking up on the water. Now, you've heard of this for a long time, and we can do green screen stuff in Hollywood, but put that one in your head. You're in a boat, middle of a storm, it's dark. And somebody comes to you walking on the water. What do you do? Just seasick. Okay. She, she's frightened. I know you can't tell, but she's frightened. Okay. And then the cool, this cool thing happens. Remember, this is not just willy-nilly. One of the disciples decides to step out of the boat and walk to Jesus on the water but as the waves come right we know that the disciple of Christ begins to sink yes but but Jesus takes and fixes the disciples eyes on him follow me and then the disciple gets back in the boat and rows off stage all right what is what is he showing us He's showing us that even when you are in deep water, even when you are in your biggest storms, Jesus is not really affected by it very much. There's not a place where he can't reach you. There's not far enough out on the ocean that he can't stroll out to you. There is not a storm big enough that if you will put your eyes on Jesus that you can't walk to him. John chapter 9 there was a man who was born blind. This is not a man who became blind. This was a man who was born blind. This was someone you had seen your whole life. This is someone that you felt sorry for. And when you had extra, you would, oh, you're blind. Stop right there. You're going to walk into me. Uh, this was a man that you would have given things to because you feel so sorry. Hey, he can't work. What can he do? And so Jesus goes to the man. I may be mixing up my miracles, but I want to do this. Jesus goes to the man and <laughs> spits in his eye. I'm kidding. Uh, Jesus goes to the man 
and he, he prays for the man. And, and there's a couple blind people that Jesus heals. At one point, he spits in the dirt and he makes money, rubs it on the man's eyes. This particular man, he tells him to go wash into a pool. And the man goes to the pool that's right there. And he washes, washes his face. And then all of a sudden, the man that you've seen born blind every day can see. Awesome. Now you can see your way off stage. Good job. I know that we've heard this story, but if you saw them every day, you think about the people in your life that you have that you love. What would it mean to you if someone came and did this for them? Now, uh, in John chapter 11, this is the big one, and I'm going I'm to harp on this one for just a moment. Okay, in John chapter 11, there was a friend of Jesus, and the friend's sisters came to Jesus and said, quick, my friend is almost dead, and yep, now he's dead, okay? They said, quick, our friend is dead, but Jesus postponed. He did not go immediately. Now, in this time, uh, they took mourning, they took sorrow very seriously, and they would, this sounds really strange to us, but they would have actually had paid professional mourners come and be around the tomb where this man, Lazarus, lay dead. And so Jesus waits very intentionally for this man to die before he shows up. And when Jesus shows up, the first thing he does is he weeps. Now, we are starting a series, and today is really going to be the first uh, part of that series, but we're going to start a series called Heartbreakers. We're going to talk about things that break your heart, and more specifically, we're going to talk about things that break God's heart. But the only time that we saw in the scripture, Jesus weep is when he shows up and all the people are weeping. And we'll talk maybe later about why Jesus is weeping. But he sees this situation. He sees all the people mourning. And he steps outside the tomb. Picture this one. And he says, Lazarus, get up. Lazarus strolls out of the tomb alive. Now this one flex good Lazarus I'm sure Lazarus did just that go ahead and and take your burial sheet uh, now this is actually the miracle that got Jesus killed if you will follow uh, the trace Jesus did a ton of miracles but so many people were there at the funeral per se of Lazarus and the story went so viral for the healing of Lazarus for the healing that the officials were threatened by Jesus because after this miracle, Jesus gets so popular that they're like, absolutely, we've got to kill him. And so from this point, as soon as they hear about Lazarus, they've already been plotting on killing him, but as soon as they hear about Lazarus raising from the dead, they're like, we have to do it now. But again, Jesus is not doing it willy-nilly. This was a prediction. This was a foreshadowing. This was prophecy of what he was going to do. Jesus is the only one who can bring resurrection. And so the resurrection of Jesus is going to be the resurrection of you, right? So this is what the miracles were for. So Jesus fulfills all of the prophecy, and then Jesus gives us miraculous signs to show us that he is the one to come. Now at this point, it is completely viral. Everybody has seen the video on YouTube of Lazarus coming out of the tomb. And Jesus is really popular. So much so 
that last Sunday, what was last Sunday? Palm Sunday. Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem and the people begin to take, out their outer, take off their outer garments and they begin to take palm branches off the trees and lay them down in front of Jesus as he rides in on a white noble steed, right? Wrong, on a donkey. Do you know why? Because it was prophesied in Isaiah that he would ride in on a young unbroken donkey and he did. And they begin to take everything uh, uh, off, off the trees and their outer garments off, and they lay them in the road. And they even, the disciples even piled theirs on the donkey to show that this is the king who is coming. And if you know uh, your story, that's awesome, but if not, I'll read it to you. John chapter 12, verse 23 through 26. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself, but if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him the hours come for the son of man to be glorified he said he rides in and they honor him as king but this is not the hour when he is glorified because Jesus knows that they are just expecting him to be the king who will free them from Rome Rome had had uh, oppressed the Jews for a long time they were large and in charge Israel could only do what Rome would allow them to do they were taxing them heavily and the people wanted freedom and so when Jesus came in as a riding king they wanted him to be the king who conquered Rome but he was so much more than that he came to conquer death and Jesus prophesies to them right here he says truly I tell you I'm in verse 24 unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains by itself. It will only be one. He was telling them, he wrote in, and this is one of the first things that he told his disciples, is I've got to die so that I can produce fruit. And I am here to tell you this morning that if you are going to produce fruit, if you say, I am missing some things in my life, maybe you're a Christian, maybe not. Maybe somebody just said, hey, burgers and donuts, and you came and you got tricked, and you're like, we're at church, what? We're, we're glad you're here. But if there is anything missing, first off, maybe it's, I, I don't know about my eternity. I don't know about God. I get that. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But some of you say, you know what, I've believed in God for a long time. But there's still a bit of a void and I don't understand it because believing in Jesus is supposed to take this. But Jesus said that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it cannot spring up into new life. What does that mean? That means that this is the path that Jesus took. The path that Jesus took was the cross. And then the tomb where he resurrected. And what we want is the new life. But what stands in between you and new life is the cross. Jesus had to die to himself. Well, what does that mean for you? I don't want you to literally physically die, okay? 
This is symbolism. The cross is major symbolism for you. This means that Jesus sat in the garden the night before he went to the cross and he was so nervous and he knew that the pain was going to be so horrific and it was in such an intense anxiety that he actually produced sweat drops of blood which we know now to be a condition this is a real thing that only happens in intense extreme anxiety situations Jesus sweat droplets of blood because he understood what he would have to go through but he knew that to produce fruit for you that to produce new life for you he had to first die so that he could grow just like a seed if you want the new life the first thing you have to do is die to self what does that mean for me That means when it comes between the teachings of Jesus and my will and desires, I choose Jesus. That means when Jesus says do it and the culture says don't do it, I choose Jesus. That means when Jesus says I want you to serve me, I want you to start going to church, I want you to go help these people that you don't like or love, and you say I'm just going to watch Netflix instead, (laughs) that you choose Jesus. The path to resurrection was the cross and there was no other way. And that is the story to you. That's why Jesus came and told them, if you want to produce fruit, first the seed has to die. And that's his story to us. You have to ask this question. What would be enough for me to surrender my life to Christ? Before you go on this exploratory journey, before before you really begin to evaluate, you have to say, what could I possibly find that would be enough to convince me to give my all to Christ? What would be enough? And we say, well, I I think there's already enough, but my question is, At some point, nothing is enough. Why would you say that? Because when Jesus was on the earth, he fulfilled every prophecy. He raised a dude from the dead. A blind guy that you had always seen, uh, he can see. Somebody who was lame, you've never seen them walk. You saw their legs kind of shriveled up, and now you see them running, jumping, and leaping, and they still didn't believe in him. Apparently, there was no point where they say, you know what, that's enough, I believe. They had made up their minds that they would follow their way instead of Christ's way at any cost. What else could Jesus have done? I mean, he, he did supernatural, miraculous deeds, so many so that they cannot all be recorded. Well, that's just what the Bible says. Extra biblical stuff says this. I have sources from, from, from all over, not just the Bible, that claim that Jesus was here. In fact, some of those sources are actually trying to explain away his miracles because they wouldn't believe in Jesus. You know what that means? That means that they were admitting that he did some supernatural weird stuff. If you don't believe that Jesus walked this earth and did what the Bible says that he did, then you have to throw away every person 
predating the birth certificate. Throw them all away. Because Jesus is validated more than any other figure in human history. John 12, 37, this is what he says. Even though he performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Have you believed? What would it take? Don't listen to the voice of the world. Don't try to take other people's problems before the Lord because I have been to literally, I cannot imagine a more poor, destitute, needy people and they ran to Jesus. We can't take other people's problems. It is between you and the Lord. What would it take for you to say, you know what, you're worth it. I'm gonna die to myself so that I can live again with you. That's the beckoning. Now, John 19, 15 through 18, they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Wait, who shouted that? The same people who were screaming, king, come save us, Hosanna in the highest on Palm Sunday. It's the same folks. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? Pilate was over this trial. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Then he handed him over to be crucified, and they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. I'm going to skip a few verses. I'm in 1928 now. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. This happened. They wrote about it in the Bible. They wrote about it in other sources. We know all places in history. They write about the death of Jesus. Actually, people who didn't even believe in Jesus wrote about that day, the earthquakes and eclipse that apparently happened at the same moment that Jesus died. Extra biblical, non-believing sources even say that. It happened. But what happened? Somebody good died for what he believed in? Or God came to earth and died as a sacrifice for your sins? See, in the Old Testament, all the story about this Christ that would come, you know what he was always intended to do? He wasn't just there to defeat Rome. He wasn't just there to, flee, uh, to, to free the people from their uh, oppressors. He was there to bring people back to God. Because in the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, they sinned against a perfect, holy God, and they were separated from God. Because God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be around sin. And so we've been in a conundrum ever since. And people were trying to observe the law and trying to be perfect so that they could get back to God. But the Bible says that none is righteous. No, not one. There is not a person who is good enough to earn their way back to heaven. I want you to understand this morning that if you have tried to earn your way, if I said, are you going to heaven when you die? And you say, I've tried to be a good person. You are on the wrong path because there's one way back to God and it is a wood bridge. It is the cross and the cross of Christ was your only way to new life back to Jesus. 
because his sacrifice was the sacrifice of someone perfect. See, Jesus came and never sinned. There is not a recorded sin that he ever committed. And how do I know that? Well, I believe that with all my heart because I know him. Why? Because even though I have done the worst that I've ever done, which is pretty bad, you've done the worst that you've ever done, he died for you on the cross, and even after that, he began to pursue you. You've had the Holy Spirit pursue you, have you not? Is that possibly why you're here today? Is because the Holy Spirit is pursuing you. Guess what? I'd have been done with you on the cross. I love you. But I'd have been done right there. Hey, if I die for you, it's over. He continues to pursue you. The perfect, the perfect man sacrificed himself, and there is no more sacrifice needed. Through his sacrifice, we can get to God. Why does that require a sacrifice? That's the way God set it up. That's why they used to <coughs> sacrifice a lamb so that that sin could, so that, that that blood of that lamb could atone for or pay for their sin. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's imperfect. I will give you what is perfect, and that will pay for your sin. And so through me, you can be with God again. Luke 24, 1 through 8. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb. This is after Jesus had died. This is three days later. This is Easter Sunday, bringing the spices they had prepared. Spices for what? Because they thought he was dead and his body would stink. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. There was a tomb, probably a little larger than this. It was quite larger than this. And a stone that a single human could not roll away. It was massive. When they showed up to the tomb, someone had rolled the stone away. But they didn't know Jesus was back. They didn't know he was alive. And so they're, they're inquisitive. They, begin, they, they question. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, in verse 3, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. I want the worship team to come up. They thought that maybe they had found the Messiah, that maybe they had found the King, and then he dies they hadn't put it together yet because they're still teaching that the Messiah that would come would be the one to take them away from Roman rule, right? He'd be the one to make us not have to get taxed so much anymore. We need new government. That's the kind of Messiah that we need is new government. And if we can just end all of this crazy stuff and there's plagues, does that sound familiar at all? If we could just get rid of that, that would be our Savior. And then we've got it from here. And Jesus says, no, 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 because as soon as this government's over, there's a new government. And there's always going to be evil because there is a prince of the power of the air called Satan. And he will always be here. And there's always going to be a new need for salvation from some other man, from some other government, from some other oppressor. 
But I came and saved you from death. I came and saved you from sin. I came and saved you from separation from God. And so now I have taken the sting away. I have taken the sword away from the enemy. And so they may still be there, but death has no more effect on you. You have nothing left to fear. Why? Because they came to the tomb and they looked and they cried out for Jesus and they couldn't find him. And there he was. And he appeared to a bunch of women, which is awesome. Because Jesus found them worthy of testimony. Because at the time, the law would not accept the testimony of a woman. But Jesus found them worthy. And they went and told the disciples. And the disciples ran to the tomb and nobody was there. And then Jesus appeared. He appeared to the women. He appeared to the disciples. At one point, he appeared to over 500 people. There are tons of testimonies of people who saw Jesus alive, physical body. How do I know that? Because one of them said, Thomas, he was not with the disciples. He said, until I touch his hands, until I put my finger in the spear hole in his side, I will not believe that this ever happened. And Jesus shows up one day and says, come on, Thomas. And Thomas puts his fingers in the nail holes in the hand of Jesus. And he fills the spear hole in the side of Jesus. And then he believed, so much so that he actually died for it. Do you know that every disciple, minus Judas, who betrayed Jesus, he killed himself. Do you know that every disciple took this story, the story of the empty tomb, to their grave? Every one of them was executed for their belief. We're not 100% sure how John died. We know uh, from extra biblical sources that they tried to boil him alive. He would not recant. He would not say it didn't happen. And when they boiled him alive and it did not kill him, they exiled him to an island where he spent his days in isolation, imprisoned, and wrote the book of Revelation for us. All the rest of them. Thomas, who wouldn't believe, he went to India, took a spear to the back. Peter was crucified. Others had their heads chopped off, you name it. But it didn't end with him. Since the disciples, all the way to you, people have died for their faith. People are still dying for their faith. Jesus has showed up in people's lives so real and so present that they said, you know what? I will die before I will deny what God has done for me. They're convinced of the tomb. And this is my question to you. What would it take for you to be convinced that that stone was rolled away because Jesus rose from the dead. We believe that his resurrection is your resurrection. And the path to get there is dying to self. Not what I want, God, but what you want. I want to pray with you as we close. I want everybody to bow. I'm not going to do anything weird. Don't worry. But we believe that there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God. There's only one way for your sins to be given, and that's through Jesus. I believe that everybody who walked in here today has sinned against the holy God. And your sin is expensive. And the only one who can afford your sin is Jesus. He had no sin. He was perfect. He's the only one who can afford your sin. 
We want you to take that. I'm not. I'm not. This is not uh, a TV evangelism thing. Nobody's going to ask for uh, anything weird. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and come up here and tell everybody that you got saved. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to bow and pray, because this is what I know. We've all been far from God at some point in our lives, and the hardest thing to do when I am far from God, when I have sinned against God. The hardest thing in the world for me to do is to close my eyes and pray and talk to God. He's the last person I want to talk to when I've sinned because He is majestic and to be in His presence is truly intimidating, especially when I'm guilty. I'm just asking you this morning to pray with me, not just listen to me pray, I want you to pray and talk to the Lord. I'm not going to try to convince you to be a Christian if you're not. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) If it's not in your heart, then it's not going to happen. We can make you say any kind of chant we want to. It doesn't matter. It is a heart condition relationship with Jesus. But I'm going to ask you to pray, and I want you to ask God this one question. How do I die to myself? Is the path to new life is through the cross. Jesus said that a seed cannot bear fruit until it falls to the ground and dies. Might be a while since you've prayed, since you've talked to God, and we understand there's not a single human over the age of seven in this place who has not been in the same situation where it's been a while and we feel a little rough going to the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, Lord Jesus, what do you want? God, how do we die to self? Holy Spirit, I pray that you will just be on every person in here. Just show them what you want from them, Lord. Lord, we celebrate the new life that you offer. We celebrate, God, that that you died. You didn't have to. You could have called angels down to take you away. You could have chosen not to come at all. This could have all been over in the flood. But, God, you loved us so much that you came and you suffered and died on our behalf. And we praise you for it. But, God, we've still run away. We need your forgiveness. God, I pray that there's not a single person in here that wouldn't know you. How do we die to self, Lord? We ask this in Jesus' name. Some people are going to come up with baskets. Here's two things. One thing is part of the way that we worship is with our tithe and offering, but also hopefully you got a connection card. If you can find paper, pen, whatever, We want to walk with you through whatever you're walking through. I want you to write that down. If it's a prayer request, if you need to talk to somebody, put your name, put your number down, drop it in that basket. We want to contact you this week. We want to pray with you. We want to see how we can help you. Better than that. The worship team is here. I am here. When this service is over, 
we want you to find us because we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. We want to talk scripture with you. We just want to love on you. This is not a place for condemnation. As I know you got some stuff on your chest, it's okay. Jesus did that when he was here, so that's how we follow. The Woodbridge Church, any church, Jesus Church, is not a museum for people who are perfect. It is a hospital for those who are sick. And the way this works is when you get out of ER, you turn around and you're a nurse. <laughs> we want to pray with you. So we want you to do one last song with us. We want you to pray the Lord. We want you to drop something in this basket, but better yet, we want you to come up here. So our prayer team is going to be up here uh, by the stage when this is over. The worship team, myself, will be here. We want to pray with you. Lord, bless this time. God, I pray that anyone who doesn't know you, Lord, will just, will just be honest with you and have that conversation. And God, we pray that you will show up in a mighty way. God, we celebrate you. Thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for rising again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us.